Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. The scripture today is taken from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the second chapter, beginning at the 23rd verse. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, good morning. My name is uh, Camden. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at New King. Uh, this week, I'm one of the only pastors here at New King. Uh, a bunch of them are... Um, are headed south or already south, and um, we'll try not to be jealous of them this morning and just have a, uh, a good time together in God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible here today, we're going to be uh, looking at it quite a bit, and we have some folks here coming down the aisle, and you can uh, take one of these, use it to follow along today, uh, and if you don't have one of your own, you can um, feel free to keep it as well as, as our gift to you. So... My wife, Carrie, and my uh, little son, Evan, will be here for the second service today, so maybe you'll get to see them on the way out. But my wife and I met in uh, Alaska about 11 years ago. That's where I'm originally from. And when I first met her, uh, and she told me that she was from Vermont, or she had lived her whole life, uh, my, my brain started racing. I was trying to think of anything about Vermont that I could think of to uh, add to the conversation. And uh, I came up with uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream and the movie White Christmas, uh, which was probably shot in L.A., but, you know, references Vermont. And that was all I could come up with off the top of my head. Uh, now that I've lived here for uh, about 10 years, um, I'm still, I realize that there's not a whole lot of stories that come out of Vermont that are of national importance, you know. And this, at that time, this was before Bernie Sanders had become a household name. Uh, and a meme and all the other things. Uh, so now when I do see news stories that you know, hit the national level from Vermont, I'm, I still am like, really keen to, to look at those. Uh, and there was one the other day that uh, hit almost every single news outlet out there. Um, it's not maybe the story we wanted to share, but um, the, the story was, a 60-year-old man dies after participating in an on-court brawl at a middle school basketball game in Alberg, Vermont. And it just seems like the past couple years especially, there's just been a, a real lack of kindness and civil uh, you know, nature in our society. And it kind of seems like maybe that's out there, other places, and not so much here. But even seen in recent years, it affects us in Vermont as well this lack of, of just kindness and courteousness to other people. 
And if we're not careful, this can come into the church and it can affect Christians as well. And we can begin to fall into that trap. But Jesus has called us to live radically different from that. And in this passage today, we see that even though Paul and Timothy in their day were going through very divisive times, facing persecution, and some of, them even, some of the Christians even being killed for their faith, in that sort of environment, Paul still gives Timothy this command, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. You know, I'd like to think that I'm kind to most people, most of the time at least, but that last little bit can be really hard. And in some of those situations and when we're really being squeezed, we need supernatural kindness. We need the kindness of Jesus permeating our life so that it can come through us to other people, even when it's most difficult. So let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll jump into 2 Timothy chapter 2. Lord, pray that you would be with us today. You would take your word, that you would just make it alive and powerful as it is, that you would uh, put away any distractions that we have in our mind, all of the the, the things that we have going on, Lord, help us to focus and pray that you would teach us, that you would change us, and that we would go out of here today uh, closer to you and more aware and receptive of the kindness that you offer to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So before we jump into our passage for today, I just want to tie this into uh, the passage that we were looking at last week, specifically with um, the vessels in the house of God that Eric was talking about. So in, in verse number 20 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, starts talking about how in a great house there's vessels for honorable uses and dishonorable uses. And in verse 21, it gives a challenge that we are to cleanse ourselves of what is dishonorable so that we can be a vessel for honorable use that is useful to God in every situation. And he goes from that and continues into our passage today. In verse 22, he says, So, or with that in mind, this is how we're going to do it. So flee youthful passions. In verse 23, have nothing to do with ignorant controversies. And then in verse 24, continuing in this same frame of mind, he says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. You know, we've seen examples at the national level, local level, and even personally, I'm sure, where people or ministries have become less honorable and less effective for God's work, specifically because of a lack of kindness shown to others. So if we are going to be vessels that are honorable and useful to God in every situation, we've got to learn this and we've got to make this true in our lives. So as we talk about kindness specifically, I just want to um, define that a little bit more. There's a lot of uh, references to love in the Bible and, and kindness, and those two things definitely go together, but there is a little bit of a specific nature in, in speaking about kindness. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, the chapter that really unpacks and gives us a description of uh, complete and pure love. It says love is patient and love is kind. I'm sure we've all had someone in our life that we knew that they loved us, but they had difficulty showing that to us. 
But God doesn't have any difficulty showing his love to us. And he wants us to have kindness that takes the love within us and shows it actively and openly to other people. When I went to college at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, it would get really cold there in the winter. And I had a beater car at the time. And right during one of these cold snaps, and it was probably 20 below for the better part of the whole week, the part of my car that took the heat from the engine and brought it into the cabin where I could enjoy it started to fail. And the very little bit of heat that was left, I had to put on the windshield just so I could see through and and be safe in driving. But it was really, really cold in there. Now, the engine was producing just as much heat as it always had, but that heat wasn't getting to me. And a love that is not felt is not going to have the same impact as a love that through kindness is openly felt and shown to us and to others. God gives us this example in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It said that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this passage in, in 2 Timothy, Paul describes abandonment, false teachers that were taking the words that he was saying and and twisting them, personal attacks against him that inevitably led to his death. And he even mentions some of these people by name in this letter that had really, really deeply hurt him. But he doesn't put an asterisk next to this command and say, there's a list of people over here, and you don't have to be kind to them, but you have to be kind to everyone else. Now, even those people that were cruel to him, he told Timothy, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. Even when a family member makes us late for church, even when someone is driving in front of us and going way too slow, or driving behind us and going way too fast, we still have to be kind to everyone. Are we a a dry sponge that when we get squeezed, there's, there's no kindness of Jesus in us to come out to someone else? Or are we a sponge that is just soaking wet with God's kindness so that when we are in those situations and we get squeezed, we bless other people around us with the kindness of Jesus? That is a supernatural work of God, and we're going to have to have God do that work in us if we're going to be able to do that. So we see in this passage today three ways in which Paul teaches us to experience God's kindness and then extend that kindness to other people. And the first way that we see is that we are to teach effectively. We must be able to teach. You ever heard the saying that uh, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care? That's not a Bible verse, so don't go looking for that in here. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt or something. But there's, there's a truth to that that we see in the Bible. We love him because he first loved us. In Psalm 86, verses 10 and 13, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, because for you have delivered my soul, for great is your steadfast love toward me. Because of God's love for us, we desire to learn more about him. We desire to be taught by him. And we are going to have to have that same love if we are able to be able to teach others effectively. 
We see this pattern of relational teaching throughout Jesus' ministry, and we see it in Paul's example and his instruction to Timothy. You think about how Jesus' ministry was seemingly pretty small in comparative ministries we see today. Way, way more people heard Billy Graham in one year than ever heard Jesus speak. And Jesus, part of that was, was by his choice. In, during his ministry, he never really left the country. He would speak to some big groups, but then he didn't carry that momentum to just speaking more and more. He would speak to a big group, and then he would go aside and go back to his main work of discipling a pretty small group of people. And then even within that group, there was an even smaller group of just a few people that he really, at a very personal level, poured into them and gave them the example to do that to others. Could you imagine the God of this universe spending three years with you, being in your home? When Jesus was here in his, in his body, he could only be in one place at one time bodily. And he chose to be with these same people, to teach them relationally for three years. And we see the impact that that had on them and through them to the rest of the church. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus teaches us relationally. He teaches us patiently and with kindness. And even though Jesus isn't here bodily to teach us, and even though the, the scope of that would be very hard to scale, right, if he can only teach three people at a time, he said, no, something even better is going to happen. He is going to send the Holy Spirit to us. In John chapter 14, in verse 15, he says that the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word, and he longs to teach us. And as I was studying through this, I began to think, if we have God's word, we have the Holy Spirit, what has God taught us lately? If it takes us too long to, to think of something, even one thing that God has been teaching us, it's not because he hasn't shown up to teach us. It's because we haven't given the time and space in order to receive what he has for us. And yet, even still, even though we put so many other things in front of him, he is still there in his kindness, in his patience, waiting to teach us when we will receive it. So he teaches us through the Holy Spirit, but he also teaches us through other people, and he wants us to be one of those people who will in turn teach others as well. Jesus commissioned his disciples and told them to go teach others just as he had taught them. And some of those people ended up teaching Paul, and Paul in turn poured into Timothy and then told Timothy to do the same. In this very same chapter, you just flip over to... Um, Verse number two of Second Timothy chapter two, it says, "And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
And so it continues this pattern of relational, personal, effective teaching. Whether we want to or not, we are all teaching someone by our example. Is our example teaching others that we can get what we want through manipulation and a little intimidation? Or are we teaching people with our example that we value other people the way that Jesus values us? And that we are willing to take the time and to be patient and to teach the way that Jesus teaches us. Paul spoke to this when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's kind of a scary thing to tell people, isn't it? And it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, just as Paul wasn't perfect, but it means that we allow people to get close enough to us in relationship that they can see our failures, they can see when we have to go to God for repentance, when we have to go to others and ask for forgiveness, that we can be humble and vulnerable and show how God is changing us on display to other people. So who are we teaching? We're teaching by example, but who are we teaching intentionally as well? The things that God teaches us and gives to us are for us and our relationship to make us more like Him, but God doesn't want them to end there. There's a pattern of giving to us so that we can teach others as well. God wants to show His kindness through us to other people, just as He wants to show His kindness to us. So we must teach effectively, and second, we must endure patiently, patiently enduring evil. As we talk about the kindness of Jesus this morning, I'm sure there's, uh, there's someone here, and I know there are people in our church that are going through uh, really difficult times. And sometimes it's not always as easy to see and to feel Jesus' kindness. We're going through very difficult situations. But we have to remember Jesus' example as well. Jesus is not someone who came and and lived a a good life, kind of checked out earth, and then went back to heaven. Jesus came and felt the full range of emotions of suffering. He's called a man of sorrows that was well acquainted with grief. And we look to him and his example. We think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, how he prayed to his father and said, Father, if there's any way possible for this to pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. Even on the cross, he cried out to his father and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you feel that way, Jesus felt that way too. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We remember that Christ suffered as well to show us kindness. We remember his promises as well. Just as Paul, who is going through an incredibly hard time as he writes this letter to Timothy from death row as he awaits his execution for his faith in Christ, we see towards the end of chapter 4 how he details some of these hurts that he's going through. And specifically in, in verse 16, he talks about how at his defense, no one came to stand with him. They all deserted him. But then he says to God, may it not be charged 
against them. When he went and stood trial, all of those, those people that he had poured so much into, they weren't there for him. But in verse 17, we see, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. When no, one, when no one was there with Paul, when it seemed like no one else really understood what he was going through, he felt the presence of Jesus in a way that he probably never would have any other way. We know from God's promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. We have to remember those promises and seek out his presence, even in the times when it's the most difficult. God's heart is to bless us but at times we must endure evil just like he did. But when we do, we can know that he is, it's because he is working and he will work all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. I love the passage in Isaiah chapter 63, 61 and verse 3. He says, To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. In that day, people, when they were in mourning, would take ashes and put them on top of their head, and they would rip their clothes, or they would put on sackcloth so that people would see them, would know that they were in mourning. It was the, end, the mark of an end of something, the death of something, a mark of sorrow. But we see the heart of God here. He says, no, I'm going to brush all of that away. I'm going to put a beautiful headdress. I'm going to give you a cause for celebration. I'm going to give you oil, anointing oil. This is going to be the start of something else. That is what God does for us. That is his heart for us, that we may be oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, so that we can come through whatever it is that we're going through, come out the other side, and other people can see us and see an oak of righteousness for God's glory, something that looks immovable and unshakable, even though that's often not the way we feel inside. God can take the evil that is meant against us and turn it into something good, and when we can feel his kindness through that and show it to other people, it can be astounding, and it can bring God the glory and point other people to Christ. I love how this is portrayed uh, through the story of Joseph. Joseph, uh, as you may know the story, was uh, a young man that was sold into slavery by his own brothers, betrayed, and lived years and years separated from his family. But God had a purpose for him and put him in a position of authority so that he could save a greater part of the world from a famine that was coming. And then, years later, his own brothers that had sold him into slavery are there in front of him, and he could enact whatever vengeance he wanted on them. But in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. 
What would allow someone to speak kindly to those people that had done him such wrong? He felt the presence of God all the way through his life. He saw the big picture of what God was doing, just as Paul did when he knows what is coming. He knows the end of his life is near. But he can zoom out and see the big picture and see that it'll all end with him safely in the arms of Jesus. So we must also endure patiently. And lastly, we must correct gently. We see this um, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. It says, Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When we see this, these verses, the first thing we have to realize is that this was a description of all of us. We were all once in this position, and only by God's grace did he rescue us from this. But sometimes after we have been saved and forgiven of all of our sins, we can be led to believe that God took our debt of sin and replaced it with this crushing debt of service to him and, and a standard of perfection that we can't keep and that it, when we can't keep it, that God is going to deal with us harshly. But that's not at all the heart of God. God corrects us gently. Dane Ortland in his book, um, Gentle and Lowly, said this, Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts about God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. When we see the truth of God's heart in the gospel, we realize that God's heart is to correct us gently. Now, sometimes he starts with a gentle correction and it gets progressively um, harder as we push back against him. And sometimes there is um, a need for a very instant correction. Uh, when I was living in, uh, I lived in Florida for a year uh, as a teenager and worked for a construction company down there. And um, moving from Alaska to Florida was quite a shock, as you can imagine. And the biggest shock of all was not the temperature, but it was all the bugs and things that lived down there that I was not accustomed to. And uh, when I first got down there, my, uh, my boss was telling me about scorpions and uh, how you had to watch for them. You had to shake your shoes out and um, look, check out for them, um, you know, pull back your sheet covers. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, I've done this to people when they come to Alaska and I tell them that I live in an igloo and all of that. You know, this is just a sort of a local thing for people that aren't used to the area. Um, and then I found out he wasn't kidding. They were everywhere, and it was horrifying. <laughs> and while I was there, one of his uh, young children, I was probably just about one year old at the time, uh, found one under something in their house and grabbed on to the scorpion, and the mother just saw as they were br the child was bringing it to its mouth. It grabbed it in just a way to keep the, the tail from stinging her, 
But the mother saw the child, and they had a board book about not eating scorpions. So she went, and she got it. She brought it back, and they sat down and, and had a good teaching moment. Um, no, it was, it was a, little more, a little more screaming involved. Uh, it was a little more frantic than that because of the situation called for that. But that's not the kind of situation that God wants us to be in. God doesn't want to deal with us in that way. He wants to gently correct us. We see in, in Psalm 103 in verse 8, it says that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those that fear him. No matter what we're struggling with today, any sin that we feel like is keeping us from our relationship with God, God is waiting. He is gently correcting us, drawing us back to himself. We don't have to feel that God is is an estranged parent that doesn't want to deal with us. No, God is tenderly calling us back to repentance with him. And we see uh, sometimes in the Bible acts of God's judgment that don't seem gentle at all. There's a difference between God's judgment and his correction. And God does, God's heart is not to judge, it's to correct. But when we refuse him, when we refuse his correction, God has no other choice but to judge sin. In Romans chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5, it says, Do you suppose, O man... You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed." God's righteous judgment is what he must do because he is holy. But God's heart is to gently correct us and draw us to himself. If you've never experienced God's forgiveness today, that is what God's heart is for you. Throughout your whole life, God has been drawing you to himself because he wants to deal with you in his kindness and forgive you for all of your sins. The only way that he can offer that kindness to you is if we receive it in faith. And for those of us who who have been saved, is our life characterized by the kindness of Jesus? This past week, did we feel the kindness of Jesus in our lives? Or was our week filled with, with stress and worry? Love the verse where he says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. We have to believe that he cares before we can cast the care on him. Otherwise, we'll go into this next week carrying all the same burdens that we did before. God in his kindness wants to take those off of us. God wants to teach us effectively and relationally. But are we going to give him the time and space this week so that he can do that? And so that we can take what he's taught us and live it out to other people and to intentionally teach others as well.
Are we enduring patiently? Do we feel like God doesn't care about the situation that we're going through? Today we can remember what Jesus did for us. We can remember his promises and we can feel his presence no matter what we're going through. And we can correct gently. Just as God corrected us gently and in his love, we can do the same to others. Are there people whose, maybe whose sins that we feel are, are worse than ours, that we think of and talk about in a negative way? We look in this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, how they are caught in the snare of the devil, captured by him to do his will. Is that the way that we think about them? Is that the way that we pray for them? That is the heart that God wants us to have, and that is the work that God can do in us. Let me pray for us that he will uh, do this work in us today. Lord, we thank you so much for the kindness that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you, you have taught us so patiently that you don't give up on us no matter what. We thank you no matter what we're going through that you are there with us and that we can feel your presence. Lord, we pray for those today that, that don't know you as Savior. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes and reveal yourself to them, that they can receive your forgiveness today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.